You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you, dear Lord, in the name of Jesus, our, our groom, the one who did look at Peter and said, Peter, you said, if it's me, then bid me to come. So, Peter, I bid you to come. Come to me. And Peter stepped out of the boat and he, for a moment, he walked on water. He had his eyes fixed on Jesus. The Lord, the wind and the waves, the storm, the stormy sea soon called his attention. And it wasn't long before the one who was a spokesman of the disciples, the strong man, was no longer walking on water. He was sinking in it. And he cried out to you. Oh, I love you, Jesus. You didn't admonish him. You reached down and you pulled him up out of what he was sinking into and you set him back on top of the water. And he couldn't sink now because his hand was in the hand of Jesus. And we thank you, dear Lord Jesus, that for anyone who may be here, who may listen on the website, who may feel like they're just sinking in the midst of their circumstances, may they realize that as Leroy said, when we cry out to Jesus, you set us on top of the very thing in the very situation that we seem to be sinking in. I'm sure that James and John, the sons of thunder, I'm sure that Thomas, I'm sure that Matthew, even Judas, I'm sure that they laughed at Peter at his soaking wet body. But for the rest of his life, He walked on water because he had the faith to get up and to get out of the boat. And we thank you, Jesus, that you can give us the same power and the same strength no matter what we face. And you alone are worthy of praise and honor. And we give you all the glory. And we pray, dear Lord, as we go to your word, we pray, dear Lord, that you would tender our hearts. May what you're trying to teach us today sink deep. May we never forget this day. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 25. I think sometimes it's good in the church for pastors to have their eyes so wet that they have trouble seeing the Scripture. Last week, I, I began a series, or continuing in the series of Genesis, preached a message called War in the Womb or War in the Heart, part one, and I want to do part two of that today. And if you have your Bibles, look at Genesis chapter 25. And I want you to begin at verse 21. We're going to read verses 21 through 23. It said that Isaac, that is the son of Abraham and Sarah, of the Messianic line, that Isaac 
in Genesis 25, 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebecca became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Saturday morning, or Friday morning, I uh, was received a text from Leanne Ainsworth. Leanne said, I'm here at the hospital. I'm with Lazarius and Rachel. Now, for some of you, you may not know Lazarius. Lazarius is an African-American, a, a dear friend, a young man who came out of the Baptist Children's Village and became a part of this church. In fact, um, an intricate part of this church for many years. Lazarius eventually married. He married a young lady by the name of Rachel. They have two children. And she was pregnant with their third child, a little girl. And they were going to name her Hope. They got to the hospital that Saturday morning. I prayed, talked with Lazarius. He said, we got up. We thought it was the normal labor. We ran to the hospital. He said, we had no idea. He said, only after we got to the hospital did we find out that our baby was dead. She was ten and a half pounds, nineteen and a half inches long, and had probably been dead for two days in the womb. The cord was wrapped around her neck. Leanne at one point texted me, and Leanne, we thank you for ministering to them. Leanne said, I'm sitting here holding this baby and asking God for a miracle. Something was wrong in the womb. And when you look at Genesis chapter 25, and we're going to... In fact, I tell you what, right now, let's stop and let's pray for Lazarius and Rachel. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, dear Lord, just as we pray for Domingo, we pray for your Holy Spirit, your hands, your arms to reach around this couple, to give them courage, to give them strength, to remind them that hope is with you and they'll see her again. And we thank you for that promise because of the one we've sung about and the one we'll preach about, Jesus. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We said this last week that Rebecca, who finally becomes pregnant, looks at Isaac and said, Isaac, something is wrong in my womb. And the Bible said, Genesis chapter 25, that Rebekah went before God and she began to pray. She inquired of the Lord. She said, Lord, what's going on in my womb? And God said to her, He said, there are two nations in your womb and they are warring against one another. Now we said last week at the beginning of 2015 this is a good time for you and I to step back and do a spiritual inventory of our life. Now, I want you to listen closely. Just like Rebecca had Jacob and Esau, Jacob is a representative all through the Scripture. Even what Paul talks about it in Romans. Jacob is seen as the spirit. Esau is seen as the flesh. 
and they're at war. And just as Rebecca had a war in her womb, now listen closely. You have a war, according to Paul in Galatians 5, you have a war in your heart. The Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, and the flesh are warring. They're in a battle. Now what are they in a battle for? Do you remember? Wow. This is what kills the church. Tedenai, as we say in Shona. Listen, they are battling for control. Right? You see, either decisions, choices, your life is either governed, controlled by the Holy Spirit, or it is controlled by what? By your flesh, by your appetites. So here we, uh, we just realized that, that there are two wars. There, I mean, there's a war and there are two natures that are battling against you and against me inside this heart. You see, when you and I were saved, Paul said in Ephesians, God did this. You know what God did? Here's you and I. We come under the conviction of sin. We look at our life. We say, God, I'm a sinner and my life is miserable and I'm heading straight to hell. We, get, we begin to feel the weight of our sin and we're driven to our knees and under conviction we say, Lord Jesus, forgive me and do what? Come into my heart. In that moment of salvation, Paul said in Ephesians 1 that God takes a deposit, a down payment, earnest money in the Greek, and puts that in your life, puts that in your heart, and in my heart, literally holding us until He returns. You ever done a layaway? When you put something on layaway, you hold it until you come back to get it. And our groom one day is coming back, and he's going to receive his bride, and we're going to be seated with him at the wedding feast. But now, as good as that is, you and I have the Holy Spirit, but we also have the Holy Spirit in what? What is this? We have it in flesh. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we have a treasure, but it's in an earthen vessel. So the Holy Spirit is in alien territory. And it's battling for control of your flesh. It's in the midst of a war. In fact, again, that word control, Paul said this in Ephesians 5.18, Do not be drunk with wine, but be what? What? Filled with the Holy Spirit. He uses the word there, plerao. Plerao. It's the word that means to be filled or to be under the control. It, it, listen, this is a good way to put it. Plerao is the picture in the Greek of a ship. When it lifts its sails up and all of a sudden the wind, what does it do? It fills those sails. You've seen those sails, they'll just, they'll just push out, they'll bellow out. Every wrinkle is out of those sails, and now that ship begins to move forward. When it is the picture of you and I lifting the sails of our faith, God's Holy Spirit filling those sails, and we begin to move forward in this process of sanctification. Hagiasmas. Hagias, the word holy. God's now making us holy. Now, there are only two points. Here's one of them. 
First of all, Satan's attack and your response and my response and what it should be in 2015. You see, the danger is in your life and in my life is that the Esau, the flesh, begins to win territory in our lives. In other words, listen, the flesh, the enemy, begins to suppress or grieve. That's why Paul said, he said, listen, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Because what happens is, is your enemy and the flesh begins to get strongholds in your life and in my life. He begins to get the upper hand. The spiritual victories that you won in 2014, the enemy is after those. He wants to recapture those territories or those things in your life and put them back under the control of the whole, uh, under the, under the flesh. Does that make sense? Now listen closely. You'll never find this when you and I are battling spiritually. You'll never find the word retreat. It's not in the Bible. The Bible never tells us to retreat. The Bible never tells you and I to run from the devil. Now the Bible says run from temptation, flee fleshly lust. We see Joseph, you remember what he did when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him? What did he do? Man, he ran for his life. But we are to resist by way of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter, Matthew chapter 4, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus in the 40 days of temptation. Do you know what Luke 4, 1 says? That he was filled, or no, that he was full of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word there is pleres. It is the picture that he is fully under the control of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Luke 5, 12, that word play race is used again to say a man came to Jesus that was full of leprosy. In Acts 6, 3, Stephen was play race. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Now turn to your neighbor and say these four words. Well, not full can't stand. Say it again. You see, when you and I are not full, when we're not under the control of God's Holy Spirit, that deposit, that deposit, that earnest, that down payment that God has put in your heart, listen, that deposit, that earnest, that deposit of God's Holy Spirit is now in the process of bringing every appetite, every choice, every desire, everything in your life, everything under your life, under the Lordship of Christ. If you and I are not full play race of the Holy Spirit, we can't stand against the enemy. That's it. And I can tell you one thing. You listen closely. Your enemy in hell is on high alert. Your enemy, the devil, knows every resolution that you've made this, this, these last couple of weeks. And if you're not full play race of the Holy Spirit... You'll, ne you'll never have no victory over any area of your life that you're trying to get control of. Can't do it. Now, let's look at Jesus. He's the great model here. Jesus does not retreat when he faces the enemy. He resists. 
That's number one. I want you to take a right. We, we looked at it last week, but I want you to look again at 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter right over there past Hebrews and get over there around uh, James and you're getting close. And, but 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Now watch what Peter said to these young new Christians scattered across the Roman Empire. Peter said in, in, in first, uh well, no, 2 Peter, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. In 2 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to do what? To devour. Now watch this. What does it say? What's the next words? In the, somebody who has the NIV, shout it real loud. Resist him. Resist him doing what? Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing what kind of suffering? This same suffering. You see, Jesus never retreated from the devil. And the Bible tells you and I were to resist him. We are to be Fearless, fear not, 366 of them. We are to be fearless and we are to be faithful. He says stand firm in the faith. And then he goes on to say, and remember this. Now look this way. You're not alone. You're not alone. Midian, Chitsede, one of the pastors there in Zimbabwe and a good friend. Midian, Chitsede when we went to come alongside the pastors there in Zimbabwe, Midian is a man who lives in two rented rooms. Okay, now I want you to stay with me and look this way. Some of you are spiritually mature enough to look this way. Midian is renting two rooms and a bathroom. Midian has no retirement. He has no insurance. Midian's church is a covering that has been literally destroyed and taken by thieves. He is, there are other churches that are not meeting under a covering. They, hey, listen, the Mormons, they've got a beautiful facility. He's uh, in a rented couple of rooms with his family. They cook on a, most of the time, on a fire outside. He has a church that's been destroyed and carted off by the thieves. They ripped the covering, they ripped the tin off the roof, took the timbers and carried it away. He, he literally jumps across a ditch of sewage and his membership does to get to the church. And yet if you saw Midian right now, I'd bet my life on it. You would see him with a big smile on his face, celebrating and enjoying the love of Christ. You see, what an example. Jesus did not re 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 retreat, he resisted. And he resisted by always saying to the devil, listen, it is written. Isn't that great? It is written. 
It's the picture here of our Savior, and it's a model for you and I, that, we, that when we come under spiritual attack, the enemy is trying to get a stronghold. He may be trying to reclaim an area that you have had control of for some time. Some people will come to me as if they're surprised. I say, you know, I, I have had such victory in this area for so long. And now all of a sudden it seems as if I'm losing ground. I want to go, well, that's your enemy, the devil. Your enemy never gives up. If there's a stronghold, if there's a behavior, if there's a thought pattern, whatever it is in your life that you may be having victory over the enemy has put his crosshairs and he wants it back. He wants that territory back. He wants you to behave like you used to. He wants you to be governed by your flesh. He wants your appetite to control you. Play race. Not full of the Holy Spirit, but full of appetite. So the picture of of a child of God is this. When we come under spiritual attack, we're we're like an archer reaching back, pulling an arrow out. Only our arsenal is filled with the Word of God. Psalm 119 says it, Thy word have I hid in what? In my heart that I might not what? Sin against God. When you and I come under spiritual attack, we reach back, we feel the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reaches into our heart, pulls out a scripture, puts that out there before us. And see, we're not like Esau. In Esau's case, Genesis 25, 30, and 32, what, de- what, de- what determined or controlled Esau? His appetite. He walked in one day, his brother Jacob was over there fixing a big red stew, and and Esau came in, he said, I'm famished, I'm about to die if I don't get this. You ever been that way? You ever thrown a fit? Because God didn't answer the prayer the way you wanted it. Right? You throw a little spiritual temper tantrum. You get mad. Oh, God, I wanted that so bad. Right? You see, that's our prayer life can be controlled, controlled by the flesh. Esau was governed and guided by his appetite. The danger with Esau is the danger in all of us. Is that the flesh, the flesh and the appetite begin to control our lives and govern what we do. We don't, we don't think, God, what is your will? What is your desire? What do you want? We just simply say, God, I want this. I need this. I've got to have it. And I've got to have it now. And the danger is with Esau is that once flesh, once flesh and appetite begins to win territory in our life, begins to win strongholds, then something worse happens. And look this way. You and I become spiritually insensitive. We become lethargic. We begin not to feel the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. Now look this way. Because we have done exactly what Paul said, do not do, do not quench. And you know what the word quench means? It means to... What is the Holy Spirit equated to? Fire. It means it is 
the beautiful picture in the Greek. It is the picture of putting a wet blanket on a fire and thereby quenching it, trying to put it out. Now look this way. You and I, when we are governed by the flesh, by the appetite, the danger is we begin to quench God's Holy Spirit. We begin to get spiritually lethargic. We're insensitive. We don't feel God like we used to. Now, I don't have time to do this, but in 2 Samuel chapter 11, I want you to go back and... Well, I tell you what, now we got time. You just take a right and go over to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11, because this is what your enemy wants. Now, here we see King David. King David. And, and, and here's the problem that can happen in your life and in my life. Because see, King David was a picture of the Holy Spirit. Here the root of Jesse. Here the youngest son of Jesse. Here the one that Samuel had anointed. Here the one that was filled, an instrument of God's Holy Spirit. Watch what happens to him. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Are you there? Say amen. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, do you see it? What's the next words? David strapped his armor on. He said, men, rally up the troops. It's time to go to war. Did David do that? No, David sent Joab. You see it? Underline it. So David sent Joab, Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites. They besieged Rabbah. But David did what? He remained or he stayed in Jerusalem. And listen, look this way. That's exactly what your enemy wants to do with you. He wants the flesh, your appetite, to so quench the Holy Spirit, grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you know what grieve the Holy Spirit means? It means to, look, look this way because this is critical. It means to make God cry. It means to make God weep. It means when a child so lets their parent down that their parent just walks away, drops their head and weeps and cries. Paul said, you and I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. When you and I are controlled by our appetite... When we are governed by our appetite, by our flesh, we are quenching, we are grieving the Holy Spirit, and the outcome of that is, is the enemy wants this to happen. He wants you and I to do what David did. He wants you and I to get out of the fight altogether. He wants you and I to get out of the war. He wants you and I to walk away. He wants you, listen, he wants you and I to give up and to give in. Because you listen closely. Mom and dad, when you give up and you give in, your enemy has got a roster ready. Oh, he's not after you. He's after all the people that are tied to you. Because once you're walking by the flesh, once you're walking by the appetite, once you grieve God's Holy Spirit, God begins to weep and cry because He's having to chasten you and discipline you. Once you grieve His Spirit, once you quench His Holy Spirit, listen... You begin to say, well, it's just not worth it anymore. I give up. I give up and I give in. 
You ever hear that? You ever hear the enemy say that to you? Well, just give up. He's got a big old toothy smile on his face. Just give up. Just give in. Hey, listen to this one. God will forgive you anyway. Covered by what? Grace. You see, that's our enemy. But God, the second point, God has a counterattack. You see, the church is on the offense. We're not on the best, the best defense. We got the NFL playoffs, got the national championship tomorrow, college football, Ohio State and Oregon. The best defense is a good what? The church is not on the defense. Right? Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed, uh, revealed this to you. And upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what that's a picture of? That's the picture of you and I charging and pounding on the gates of hell. He's not taking territory. We're taking His territory. We're on the offense. Put Satan on the defense. That's what it means. There's only one problem. I had a man ask me, drinking coffee, just a couple of, about three days ago. He said, why do you think Islam grows so much and is so attractive? I said, it's disciplined. It's the discipline of Islam that attracts people to it. And I said, because we forgot that the most disciplined religion of the world is Christianity. It's to be a follower of Christ. His followers were called what? Disciples, where we get our word discipline. Mathetes in the Greek, disciple. You see, discipline. I wrote this down. We have forgotten that Christianity is a disciplined life. Grace has become the bus. And you remember we just had these two buses moved off our parking lot because they were the cover for people to come out and carry out crime. So think about that. Stan, think on this one. I thought about you. We have forgotten that Christianity is a disciplined life. Grace, God's grace has become the bus parked on most church parking lots, which has become the cover of the enemy to excuse our undisciplined lives. You see, and I went on to write this, grace is the tool of salvation. Discipline of our faith. The disciplines of our faith are the tool of the, of the process of sanctification. Sanctification, God's process of making us holy, is carried out by, empowered by the Holy Spirit as we incorporate disciplines into our life. What's wrong with the church in America and why we're losing ground is that we've lost the lack of discipline. So what are we to do about it? Let me give you some things to think about. Number one, disciples of Christ. As disciples, followers of Christ, we need to repent and we need to remove some temptations that are in our life. Now, let me say the word repent means to abhor. It means to hate sin. Hey, look this way. 
you may be thinking deep down inside, I don't really hate it. <laughs> In fact, to be honest with you, sometimes I don't not hate it, I kind of like it. And I like to dabble in it. That's the flesh. But the deposit, the earnest money, the down payment of God's Holy Spirit, in the African language we say, moya mutsvene. The moya mutsvene, the Holy Spirit, doesn't like sin at all. Now look this way, because it killed the Son of God. Would you like something that killed a child? I don't think so. God can't. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews 1.9? It says he loves righteousness, he hates wickedness. Wow. You say, well, wait a minute, I don't really hate sin. Let me tell you, that's why you're under the control of the flesh. As you get more and more under the control of the Holy Spirit and you bring your life under the Lordship of Christ, watch what's going to happen. You know what? You're going to hate what God hates. As you and I come under the control of God's Holy Spirit, we begin to hate what God hates. Then all of a sudden we get serious. If you go to an athlete's refrigerator, you're going to find, you're not going to find a lot of junk. You may be here today and you say, you know, I want to get my health back. Hey, let me tell you something about the devil. He comes to what? Kill, steal, destroy. Hey, you know what we think? We, we're literally so ridiculous when it comes to this point. Your enemy wants to kill, steal, to destroy you. He wants to destroy you. Hey, listen. He can't kill you. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But let me tell you what He can do to you. He can slowly destroy your health and your joy and your life with just one more Baconator. Give me the triple Baconator. With a large order of fries, fresh out of the grease, and a chocolate milkshake to wash it down. That's your enemy. You see, that's the flesh governing your life because your enemy, you know what your hey, let me tell you what your enemy's and hell's doing as you're eating the pork loin. <laughs> Won't be long now. Hey. It's appointed unto man once to die, but let me tell you what the enemy will do. He'll ruin your health to literally steal your joy so that you get out of the battle for the souls of men. He's after you. You made a resolution to get physically healthy? <laughs> That's exactly what hell was doing. <laughs> hey! Got a work cut out. And guess what the enemy will do? February 1st, when you failed and your resolutions are back where the, all the others have been, you know what happens to you and I? This is what we say. What did we say earlier? Well, if you, I, I give up and I do what? I give in. That's your enemy. You may be here today and you say, my physical health is not where it needs to be. Maybe it's a high sugar intake. You may be here today and you say, spiritually, my health is not where it needs to be. Maybe it's a high sin intake. I think we've gotten so used to sin, we don't even think about it anymore. 
All right? You see, and I'll close in a minute, but I want you to see this. In Romans 13, 14, you, you can turn there if you want, but let me read it to you because this is critical. In Romans 13, 14, Paul said this. He said, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and watch this and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust or the desire or the appetite thereof. Now let me read it again. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now let me explain it. Let me read this. Make no provision. You say this year that you're going to get your health back, that you're going to go on a diet, and yet there's a pack of Oreos on the counter. You say you're going to watch less TV, but you have 365 channels in Hell's Box Office. Hell's Box Office is HBO. You say you're going to exercise more, but the treadmill is your coat rack in your bedroom. You say you're going to get organized, and yet your car out there looks like a dumpster. You say, well, I'm spiritually, I'm going to make some changes in my life. I'm going to get physically, physically in better health. I'm going to get spiritually in better health. And your vehicle looks like a dumpster, and the Bible's in the back dash curled up from the sun. That parent is what you're teaching your kids. I had a dad ask me this week, we were talking about this, and I said, you know, as a believer, we need to teach our children, here's a five-letter word, order. Order. There's order in the car. There's order in your bedroom. There's order in this home. There's order in your life. And because you and I are under the disciplines and the, we're followers of Christ, there's order. It's critical. And the enemy, listen, you know what the enemy wants? He wants disorder. He wants you governed by the flesh, motivated by an undisciplined life. And let me say this, Dad, you are more responsible for order than Mom is. And dads are going, I wish he hadn't said that. I knew I should have moved my membership. Paul says, listen, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know what this is? It's the picture of either sin goes or I go. This is what you tell your kids when they go to a friend's house and the friend's doing something that you don't agree with. You say to your child, in that case, either they... Get rid of the sin or you leave. I go where sin goes. The word there, I love this, the word is to put on is the word in the Greek in duo. Let me ask you something. We're going to close in a moment. But look this way. Ladies, listen to me. Ladies, if somebody gives you, in fact, I'll ask Sheila. Sheila, please do it. Don't, don't make a face. You're my wife. Do this for me. Stand up, because I was I, Sheila and I were talking about this word in duo, and, and it, it means to put on. Sheila, show how a woman would put on a full-length meat coat. Turn around, you got to look at the crowd, <laughs> right? 
I think that we were walking around in some public place and I looked at her and I said, Sheila, I said, how the word in duo is the word that means to wrap up or to just sink into. It just means to melt into Jesus. And I said, that's what a woman does when she puts a mink on. You Listen, you give a woman a mink, she'll put that, she'll wrap that sucker, she'll almost disappear down into it. That's the word Paul uses there in duo. It means we just wrap up, we sink into Jesus. Wow. Megan was sitting in the living room a while back, the wife of our worship leader. And she was cold. I said, Megan, I said, this is what I'll do sometimes. I'll take a blanket, throw it in the dryer, heat it up, and then wrap up in it. And I said, but really what you need is you need one of them Snuggies. Is that what they call them? She laughed and said, Jeffrey already got me one. Let me tell you, God, you know what God gave you? He gave you a spiritual Snuggie. And you know what his name is? You want to say it? Jesus. Put on Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what will happen, folks, this year. You'll begin to have victory over the flesh and the devil. You'll begin to be controlled by God's Holy Spirit and God will begin to do some great things in your life. Now let's stand together. How do you put on Christ? Number one, let, let, let's just look at it. How do you put on Christ? What is this? It's a Bible. It's what? Shokomwamwadi. Shokomwamwadi is the Shona word in African Zimbabwe for the Word of God. That's how they, Bible is the Bible. You see, if you and I are going to put on Christ, we're going to need this to do it. In 2015, if we're going to begin to be guided by the Holy Spirit, if we're going to enduo, if we're going to put on Christ, then we're going to have to fall in love with this. And I love your phones, but folks, let me tell you something. There is nothing better than a hands-on Bible that you can write in, dog-ear the pages, stick in your pocket, carry with you wherever you go. Number two, it's not only systematic time in the Word of God, it's prayer. Now let me tell you what we all say. I know what we say. I do it too. I'm not no spiritual giant. I, I struggle just like the rest of it. Let me tell you what happens. You start to pray and what happens? You're laying in bed at night, poor old moms, they've been wrestling and battling with jobs and kids and meals and house and everything else. And, and mom lays down, she says, you know, I'm just turning over a new leaf. I'm just going to spend time praying. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for this debt. Let me tell you something about your groom. What better way to fall asleep? And if you happen to die in your sleep, you'll wake up still talking to him. But if you say, but I don't want to go to sleep. George Mueller, who had the most documented prayer journal of any individual that has ever been known to the church, the autobiographical life of George Mueller is a classic People asked Mueller, they said, 
How do you pray the way you do? His prayer life was unbelievable. Don't you fall asleep? You know what he said? Yeah. He said, I do. He said, I fall asleep. He said, I deal with all the distractions that all of you do. But he said, and they asked, well, how do you have victory over going to sleep or your mind? You ever start praying and your mind gets distracted and you're thinking about something else? Does that happen? He said, this is what I do. He said, I pray the scripture. Well, what does that mean? That means this. Justin, you got a little girl, don't you? What's her name? Juliana. Juliana. This is big old Justin. He's a big, healthy young man. He ought to be playing in the NFL. He's so big. Now, Justin, when he's praying for that little girl, how old is she? She's two. Juliana. Juliana's two years old. And, and Justin really wants to bring her before the throne of God. He really wants to pray over Juliana. So let me tell you what he does. He turns to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So he starts, here's big old dad, he's on his knees. And Juliana's asleep, that little two-year-old beautiful little girl, I've seen her. And he says, Lord, I pray that Juliana will learn now to begin to trust in you with all of her heart. Lord, help her not to lean on her own understanding. But Lord, help her in all her ways, in every decision that she's going to make in the years to come, who her friends are, who she'll marry, what curriculum she'll take, all of those decisions. Lord, I pray that she'll lean not on her her own understanding, but that she will acknowledge you in all her ways. And God, I thank you because I know that you will direct her path. Amen. You know what that means? That means if you're having trouble praying over praying, you fall asleep, your mind gets distracted, you just go from your Bible reading to your prayer time and you just simply say, Ann and Lee, Michelle, Tyler's in school out in uh, Scotland right now. And I know they're proud of them, but they still worry about them. That's mom and dad. Ann and Lee are just saying, Lord, we pray, we pray for Tyler. We pray that... We pray that Tyler will endure, that he'll put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Lord, he's on the other side of the earth, but you're right there by his side, and we trust you with Tyler. Amen. Let me tell you what God does when he hears his word coming back to him. He's on high alert. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray, dear Lord, for every member of this congregation. I pray, dear Lord, that they will trust in the Lord with all their heart. I pray, dear Lord, that they will lean not into their own understanding, but in all thy ways that they'll acknowledge you. And Lord, I know that you will direct their path. I pray that for my children, for Amy and Emily and Ledge and Jeffrey. I pray that for my four in-laws, my my son-in-laws, my daughter-in-laws. I pray that for Alicia and Megan. I pray that for Corey. I pray that for Matt. I pray that you wrap your arms around my little grandkids and that each of them in duo would just sink like a woman in a mink, that they'll just sink into Jesus. I pray, dear Lord, that they'll never make no provision for the flesh. Father, I pray, dear Lord, that every person in this room knows that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That, God, You did not send Your Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through You might be saved.
God, I pray today if there's one here that doesn't know you, that they will hear the cry of the Holy Spirit right now. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. As we said in the language of the Shona people, And I say that because some in Zimbabwe may listen to this message. You must be born again. And I pray, dear Lord, that people in this room have not made a decision because Grandma told them to make a decision. Not because some friends went down the aisle. Not because they just got baptized because that was the right thing to do at that moment because some friends were doing it or because a preacher talked them into it. I pray that they would truly be born again to be saved. And I pray, dear Lord, if there's anyone here, whatever decision they may need to make today, whether to join in believers' baptism, to be saved and following baptism, whether to be a member of this church and to plant their life here, whether it's to rededicate, whether it's to come to this altar and spend a moment in prayer and say, God, in 2015, may it be a year of victory. And I pray this and we pray this in the sweet, precious name of Jesus. Amen.